Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Research finds that homework can academically benefit students, and there are non-academic benefits as well. And yet today, many schools are moving to remove homework entirely. The Wall Street Journal recently reported that a school dis- that school districts in Nevada, California, Iowa, Virginia, and other states are working to cut out homework entirely, and are working toward equitable grading. With a ver- with varying degree of buy-in, uh, to discuss this today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Matthew. She is a visiting fellow at the Independent Women's Forum and a regular opinion contributor at The Hill and many other publications like USA Today, America Magazine, America Magazine, and the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on, Julie. Um, I'm. Really, I love this piece that you recently wrote for Deseret, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit from it. You said, as Gen Z enters the workforce in greater numbers, employers, colleagues, and consumers are noticing a pervasive decline in work ethic that transcends demographic and political divides. Tales of quiet quitting, a conscious determination to do the bare minimum at work, and complaints about the reality that work is not always fun, lucrative, or logistically easy pervades social media. Uh, where today's young adults send, spend so much in t- of their time, you go on to say, and you go on to explain that and the mental health issues, and you go on to say, is there a simple way to reverse this tide for the next generation and bring back a culture of professionalism alongside improved mental health and academic competence? That's a great question to ask. And I'm going to, you kind of go into your article and explain what you think is the answer to it. But if you could kind of explain this and flesh this out a little bit more for us, I think you've nailed it right there. You know, if you're on reels or I hope you're, I hope people aren't on TikTok, but if they are, you see this constant drumbeat of misery out there and these trends, like you said about quiet quitting. So explain it to me and then answer your own question. Oh, thank you so much. So I think that, you know, Gen Z, as these folks come into the workforce who are in their 20s um, and even their late teens at this point, we're seeing a lot more fragility, right? Emotional fragility um, in in terms of work ethic fragility, right? And this is obviously not, um, it's not the whole generation. There's obviously wonderful, very hardworking people who are not fragile of every age. But as a group, as, as a, a median, you're getting greater fragility. And I think part of that is the way in which we've made childhood easier, right? So there's less independence. This is something that Lenore Skenazy at the Let Grow Project talks a lot about. Um, there's less uh, ex- opportunity to have experiences where you're on your own and, and doing things on your own. And there's also less and less homework. So the amount of time that children are spending on homework has declined. And to me, one of the problems with that is that if you're not learning the sort of balance of how to manage your time when you're young, when you get hit with a job and bills and house chores and later children, one of the things we could talk about is, you know, some of the misery and motherhood things that you see a lot too, where everything is just, you know, impossible. And and obviously it's very, very hard. I have four children. I'm not saying it's not hard, but obviously there are opportunities to cultivate the type of time management and 
imposing order on chaos type of skills that you're going to need as an adult. And if we continue to sort of delay the skills building of adulthood by not having these opportunities for younger and younger children, or for, excuse me, for older and older children, the older they're getting, they're not getting these opportunities. That's really a problem. And one of the things about homework that I value, you know, I came of age in the, in the early 2000s when homework was at its peak, right? When it was like, there's too much homework, the, the sort of excellent sheep phenomenon that, uh, uh, I forget the name of the author of that book, but you know, the idea that kids are just not having any idiosyncratic or unique experiences. They're all just pounding away at this homework all day and all night and they're not getting enough sleep. So obviously there's extremes on that side that we don't necessarily need to, to have. However, having no homework at all deprives you of the opportunity to have that deliverable, that accountability, that responsibility. You know, my oldest is in third grade and it's not as much the homework that I value, though the homework is valuable. It's the fact that he has to get it done and he has to remember to get it done. And he has responsibility to somebody outside of our home to turn in this product and to be judged based on that product. And that's a good experience and opportunity to have at a young age. I want to talk about sort of this tide that's changed within or the tide has turned against homework in education and kind of talk about that trend. But before I do that, I, I would love for you to explain what are the benefits? You've, you've explained a little bit about taking responsibility, having to get something done, understanding things like deadlines. In the education itself, though, like do kids retain information better mm -hmm. if they have homework? What is the effect actually like on their participation in class? Is there data on that? Yeah. So this is actually kind of a bridge to your next question, right? Homework is really beneficial if you do it. And part of the problem that we have is that a lot of studies say, oh, well, homework's not beneficial. Well, that's because there's two things working in tandem. One is the students who aren't doing the homework aren't benefiting from it. So that's obvious, right? If you take home your homework, but then you don't do it, it's not going to benefit you. So there's that. There's also the fact that the students who tend to do the homework are also the ones who are going to do okay academically without homework, because they tend to be the ones that come from the types of homes where these skills are going to be reinforced in other ways, right? Because if you have the mom who's, you know, you have the, the fortune to have the mom who's in the kitchen making dinner and overlooking your homework because she's home from work at that time, or she doesn't have that kind of job or a dad who does or whatever, you are in a position where you are fortunate enough that you're probably going to do okay, even if there's not homework, because there's those skills being built in your home. Exactly the students who need the homework who need an outside person to say, here's what you need to reinforce, are often the same students who aren't necessarily doing the homework. So it's kind of one of these things where if you remove the, um, the impetus to do it, you'll have students who otherwise would have done it, who don't do it, right? And those are the kids who are going to lose the most if you get rid of it. So is that the root of this trend? And I think I know the answer to that. But is this the idea, this goes all back to equity, meaning we are essentially, now I am, I'm speaking their language. This is not what I believe. But essentially the, the philosophy is those kids who come from families where there isn't two parents, where there's far less stability, perhaps they... Um, don't have, uh, you know, they're not economically as well off. Um, they're at a disadvantage. So now we need to, we need to level that playing field. And what that means is 
lowering the standards for everyone and taking away the things that benefit some kids who, because of their circumstances, might benefit more than others. Is that is it equity that's really driving this? Yes, it is absolutely that. You said it very well. It is equality of outcome. So it's we're seeing some students doing better on homework than others. Therefore, let's eliminate homework, right? Particularly because the students who tend to be completing it consistently, there's correlation with those being more privileged students in terms of their backgrounds, environments, um, households, et cetera, socioeconomic status, um, two parents and whatnot. Now, what I would say is the real problem with that, I mean, there's myriad problems with that, but one of the big problems is obviously among students who are not the most privileged, right, who are not coming from homes that are lined with books and that have a parent home reading those books all day or whatever, among those students, there's tremendous intra-group variance. So there are students who do the homework, who, you know, have a single mom or maybe have a mom who has to work night shift or whatnot, but they've been doing the homework and now you've eliminated it, so now they're not going to do it. Right. And then you have students in that group who weren't doing the homework in the first place. We are privileging the latter group having the same outcomes as everyone else. And we're hurting the former group. It is children without tremendous privilege, but who take it upon themselves or someone does their mother, their grandmother, their father, whomever to make sure that homework gets done. That's who you're hurting the most. So you're hurting the very people you would have intended to help. How pervasive is this, you know, we talk about this being an educational trend. And that is one thing that when I was dipping my toe into the educational world, I learned about, oh, goodness, these trends, they can come and go. And for it, you know, I feel like it's like nutrition advice, like one minute eggs are good for you. And one minute eggs are bad for you. And one minute coffee is good for you. And You know, and I feel like education trends are similar. And it can take a, it can take a decade for that pendulum to swing back. Is this equity trend, which is, again, I think this is what, how pervasive is this in education? I know I noted at the beginning that certain states, Virginia, Nevada, California, not surprised by California, of course, but I am surprised by Iowa. I am surprised by Virginia um, that we're seeing this trend happening in, and many other states. Again, I'm back to my original question. How pervasive is this? So I would say it is more pervasive in what we would call the discourse than it is on the ground at this moment. Okay. Because what happens with these types of things, you know, one example is phonics, how phonics fell out of favor. And now we're all coming back to, oh, phonics was was a good way to teach reading. So there are a lot of places that never went away from phonics in the first place. Um, Catholic schools being one notable um, thing, but also a lot of other private and public schools that never went away from phonics in the first place because they are sort of, if you think of the discourse as the head of a, a snake or a dragon that's like pulling everything, right? You you have people closer back to the tail who aren't following the trends as closely. And so there are places where it never really takes shape. But there are other places where they're right up at that head and they're they're following it every move. And so you're starting to see more and more places that, you know, the longer the trend goes on in the discourse, the more places will be affected. And I think that's what happened with phonics and that's what's happening with this. Um, I will say that the surprise about certain states where you would think that there would be more diversity of opinion, particularly that would tend more toward our inclinations to to maintain homework and rigor, et cetera. Educational activists in those states and people who are highly invested in higher education are in many ways no different than the ones in California. Right. And so one of the issues here is that you have and we've seen this. We saw it during covid. We've seen it with some of the issues around the books that are in schools or not in schools. 
you have parents and even teachers, like modal teachers, who feel one way, and people who are in leadership in the educational discourse and activism who feel much more the way that more people in California would feel, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And so there's that um, disconnect, and some of these things have to be implemented before parents react against it. Well, speaking of parents... How active are parents? How well? I should I shouldn't even say active yet. I should say how aware are parents um, uh, that this is happening? Is there disagreement? It's interesting. Sometimes I, you know, look. I'm I'm a parent of. Uh, I have three kids, all in school, all dealing with this. And I sometimes hear parents complain bitterly about homework. I hear some parents who recognize the benefits of par- of of homework. Um, I feel like there's never a middle ground. I feel like some parents don't understand that like you can go, you can do overdo it with homework um, and where kids are spending hours and they have almost no free time between sports and, and no sleep. No, and no sleep. Right. So uh, where are parents sort of coming down on this? I agree with you. I, my, my children um, are also in school. They're in Catholic school. And I hear a lot more of a middle ground in that context Um, I think because, you know, everyone's making the choice to send their children there. Right. So there's, there's some element of um, parental choice that comes, comes in with it. But when I talk to broader groups of people, to friends whose children are in public school or to neighbors, my sense is exactly what you said. There's sort of these two sides. And I think that one of the things that's interesting, right. I'm kind of making the case for the middle ground, if that makes sense, right. That homework is necessary, but no, it shouldn't take up your entire evening such that you have no time with family and right friends and sports because that's really bad too right the fact that we're so busy with homework you don't have time for a part-time job that that's not good right it's important to develop many skills not just the skill of doing homework um you know you don't want to make all the other skills secondary to that however one of the things i'll say is that homework is work for parents it right? is it's much, it's, it <laughs> it, you know so among particularly among privileged parents right who have the opportunity to enrich their kids academically in other ways, right? Who have the museum memberships, who have the houses full of books, who have the library cards. The money for tutors. Right. Among those people, in some ways, not having homework's easier, right? Because it makes your afternoon with your kids. I mean, I would enjoy not fighting my seven-year-old tonight about doing his homework and just let him play outside and come in for dinner. If it were summertime all year, you know, it'd be be a happier house, right? And so I think there's some of that in the sense that it's about parents not wanting to have the strife that this outside accountability causes, right? And so that's where you can see some of the um, the push against homework being, you know, um, echoed by, by yeah. some of these parents for different reasons. But what they're not necessarily always recognizing is the ideological underpinnings of that that affect many other things and that will also eliminate the tests that they actually value or having the sense of their their children being able to achieve um you know excellence right because the idea that there is no such thing as excellence that's whatever anybody does is is good for them right and so i think there's there's some disconnect between that ideological underpinning and like what would make my monday afternoon easier which not having homework certainly would right right you know i feel like when I talk about these issues, you know, clearly I, I feel like 
what I'm trying to highlight here and what you and I are talking about here is this sort of trend where like phonics, it just goes away or, or, you know, now homework is going away. And the problem with that is that these trends tend to hit education and then hit the public schools and, and many people can't afford to choose separately. I, my children are also in a Catholic school um, in a classical Catholic school, which is very rigorous in terms of um, you know, both in-class work and and homework. And they spend a lot of time on homework. And I chose that specifically. And so, you know, I would hope, look, it's it's this trend is not helpful. And you talk about how, especially to vulnerable kids who actually need this the most. Um, but I see so many problems in education that could be fixed through more choice so that if you were a family who couldn't, you know, didn't really like the the public school system, but can't afford to send your child to a Catholic classical school or a classical school doesn't have to be Catholic. Well, you're for many families, they're trapped. And so do, do you make that connection in your writing a lot? Do you talk about school choice and why? Because I mean, we can talk about how to influence educators and how to influence sort of the philosophy which could take, like we said, a decade, you know, for these trends to go back and forth. Do you make that connection in your writing to how this is one of the reasons school choice is so important? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that school choice is in many ways the way to solve enormous numbers of these these problems that are about parental rights, parental authority, and and parental um, expectations of what education even is or means, which in many cases, there's a tremendous disconnect between what they'd be teaching at, at some education school at a university and what your average parent who went to school themselves and has some idea of how it should work, right. you know, um, believes about what their children should be receiving. You know, on the one hand, so I think school choice is absolutely, you know, the way to go in terms of solving enormous numbers of these things. But the other thing I will say is that, you know, it's important to push back in the discourse too, because even when you have school choice, these things seep into yes. every aspect of life, even beyond just the classroom, right? And the other ways that children are interacting with each other, whether in sports or in, you know, other activities or, you know, I, one quick anecdote I'll tell is when my, my oldest was five, uh, we were starting piano lessons and we went to this one place where the teacher did not have any interest in teaching piano. She just kind of let him play around. And when I pushed back and I said, you know, he actually has real interest in this. He's, he's, he's more than ready to do. She said, well, I just want to cultivate a love of music. And I was like, well, you can't love music unless you know how to play it. Like you have to know the rules to break them. You have to, you know, and she just was incorrigible, right? Like we, we came to an argument about what education is, what parenting is. And we left that for our third lesson and found a teacher who um, actually taught tremendously focused on teaching <laughs> my son piano, which he loves and was doing great with, you know? And so it's really important to recognize that this cultural breakdown around some of these issues is broader than just the classroom. You know, I loved how you ended your article. You said, the disposition to fragility that is so concerning among today's young people does not come about because we demand too much of them as kids and teens. It is because it, it comes because we demand far too little. And, you know, I, 
I will say one phrase that drove me absolutely bananas during COVID was the kids are resilient. Remember this? Mm-hmm. They would say the kids are resilient. And it was such a lie because mm-hmm. no, kids on a screen essentially being abandoned um, mm-hmm. and and left to their own devices, that is not what we're talking about. And kids need guidance. They need structure and they need to be, they need demands. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes them feel so good when they accomplish something, when they, they get a grade that they've earned. And that's another thing. And probably for another subject, I'd love for you to come back on and talk to me about grade inflation and oh, yes. some of the other things that we're seeing in schools because, mm-hmm. and, and I've had an experience with that myself where I, I was really under the impression that my child is doing much better. Uh, and again, I'd love for you to come back and talk about those things. I think this is the kind of stuff what you're talking about in, in this Deseret piece is some parents just don't understand. And I am, I am not in any way saying parents don't, don't get it. I really believe some parents are ignorant, truly do not know what's going on yes. um, and might see the homework. The relief of homework is something good. Um, but that, that really isn't it. Do, do you have any closing thoughts and, and want to tell people where they can find your writing and, and where sure. you are on social media? Yeah, thank you so much. I completely agree with you. I think that a lot of it is, it's even less like ignorance. I mean, it is ignorance, but it's often just people are really busy and they're doing a million other things. And they just assume that because when they went to school, things were relatively sane, but they're relatively sane now, right? The idea that if you put in work on something, you'll get better at it is a fundamental belief of most people because it's true. And the idea that a school would teach anything other than that is so foreign to the coordinates of the average person who isn't spending their day on Twitter reading about this, that of course they don't know that. And so that's part of why both school choice and a pushback in the broader culture is so important. Yeah. Um, Yes, my work is on Twitter at Elizabeth G. Matt. And I also have a website linked to my Twitter where you can find all the rest of my work. Great. And she also is a fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. So you can check. We list all of your writing there as well. And you do some great work with the Education Freedom Center. Jenny Gentles is uh, is the head of the Education Freedom Center at IWF. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send comments and questions to juliegunlock at iwf.org. Please help me out by hitting the subscribe button and leaving us a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, IWF, or any other platforms where you listen to this podcast. So the most important thing is to hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.